Hello, and welcome to AMO Kenzoku, episode 43. It is 43, right, guys? Uh, yes. Yes. Awesome. I got it right the first try. <laughs> uh, we're, not, we're not editing this. <laughs> we are a group of four bubblegum crisis boomer otaku who talk about anime, manga, and any related topics. And tonight's episode happens to be one of those related topics. Uh, it is actually about JRPGs. But before we go into that, the Kenzoku are... Hey, I'm Sam. Hey, y'all, I'm Mike. I'm Dylan. And I am tonight's host, Nick. We are recording this episode on January the 4th, 2024. Woo! New Year! Yay! Yay. Um and yeah, so with that let's uh let's just get right into the topic. So Hashing. So uh I'm gonna open it up with the incredibly loaded question of what is a JRPG? I think uh we can let's just go in, in introduction order. So Sam, what is a JRPG to you? Well J stands for Japanese. <laughs> RPG stands for role-playing game. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, Japanese role-playing game? <laughs> to, to be cheeky, but uh, I guess to be more serious, uh, it's a game that looks like uh, Dragon Quest or Final, Final Fantasy. It's a little bit anime. It's a kind of a walk around, gain experience points, learn magic or whatever and uh experience a cool story i would not consider uh uh western looking stuff that is an rpg to be um jrpg like uh i don't know if is wizardry japanese Mm, don't believe so i believe that is developed in the west yeah wizardry wizardry is complicated yeah it's back and forth because in Mike, you might have more knowledge on Wizardy because that one goes back to old times. But that was one that was, I think, started in the West and was actually one of the very few that was imported over to Japan. And then it kind of like got really like kind of underground popular there such that didn't they kind of like take it over and then it got re-imported back to the West from Japan? Yes, and meanwhile, the cash from Wizardry was used to start our, uh, well, may or may not be favorite, but U.S. anime company Animago. <laughs> How so? Robert Woodhead, the guy who runs Animago, was one of the co-creators of Wizardry. Really? Oh. Today I learned. Leave it to Sensei Mike to educate yeah. us. Huh. <laughs> I had no idea that he was involved in that. Good. So. Yeah, Good on him. Actually, so this tangent actually leads me to a follow-up question, which I think I'll we'll have everybody answer as well while we are on the topic. But obviously, the RPG is prefaced with the J, so then for Japanese, does is a prerequisite for a JRPG that it is actually the origin of the game is from Japan? Is for for you, Sam? Is is that a prerequisite, or is that not a prerequisite for you? Um, I would say. From a starting point evaluating, I would say that that 
would weight heavily, but um, I think I would consider something like Sea of Stars to be a JRPG, which is, I believe, 100%. German. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it fits the style, like, uh, totally. So I, I feel like... So for yeah. you, it's more of a design philosophy than a country of origin. I Nowadays, think so. Yeah, I, so? yeah. With Japan setting the tone basically for it. So. I, I, I would, I would also agree. I think historically, the term was kind of coined for. I mean, obviously, you know, it's uh, anecdotal. But I started using the term JRPG in the early '90s when I was playing a lot of them, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's when a lot came out. Obviously, plenty came out before them in the '80s, but. Um, I think it was largely used as a broad marker for these turn-based, you know, plot-heavy role-playing games that were made by largely Squaresoft and other Japanese companies. Mm-hmm. But over the years, seems like now it's more of a design philosophy than a country of origin because plenty of companies outside of Japan make games that are in that style. Like you just have to say Undertale, for example. <laughs> yeah, as, true kind of the gold standard for the modern day one. But I, I don't want to go too deep into title discussion. Um, I, I would like to kind of get everybody else's definition. So uh, what about you, Mike? What is, a, in your eyes, what is a JRPG? Yeah, I mean, I'm with sounds like the both of you on considering it one of those kind of essentially in a design lineage that went to Japan with the Wizardry and Ultima, very early computer RPGs, and then became something distinctive over there, while RPGs descended also from those same games, more or less, but in a different direction over here. And there have certainly been a fusion of those kind of character-focused and elements, but largely... Western RPGs went in a different direction, and you get a lot more either party-based tactical, which then you get some in JRPGs too, but I would say they're not the prime focus, usually. Usually I think of those kind of generally turn-based combat, generally third-person, playing a defined character usually, even if in early ones where they're not voiced, you can rename them. Yeah, it don't know, it's kind of a mishmash that ends up in I-know-it-when-I-see-it territory. But... I, I, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head top for something I use. Is, in general, I, I, it's I-know-it-when-I-see-it, these, especially these days, because it's, it's much less defined and much more of a spectrum now, mm-hmm. in my yeah. opinion. Um, but again, uh, moving on. What about you, Dylan? What is a JRPG to you? Yeah, I think... I think we have to go with some of the similar definition stuff we went for anime. We're like, oh, what is anime? Anime is. And it was one of those things where I think if you asked me every five years, I would probably have a slightly different like answer. And so for right now, I think I think I am going to kind of go with the kind of the, I know what if I see it, the aesthetic, but it's generally one of those things where it's like um, has a anime i would almost say or uh call it a 16-bit aesthetic with a Mm. generally i'd say with what i'd almost call like a linear a more linear storyline um as opposed to a 
you know, you get to be the hero and do whatever you want or be the villain or whatever. It's like, no, you are this person and you're you're playing along in their story. Um, one of the things I wanted to come back to that you had said, Nick, was that you said back in the early 90s that um, that you remember calling them JRPGs. And I, I still remember very distinctly uh, the day when I was in seventh grade. It was fairly early on and i went over to my friend's house and he had final fantasy 2 which was 4 but we didn't know better at the time on his super nintendo there and i saw it and like played it for a minute i was like what the heck am i even seeing and just like that still sticks in my brain back from Mm -hmm. when i saw that in 92 or whatever um you know honestly it's probably those defining moments in my life because like without question final fantasy is my favorite video game series ever like there's not even a second place is like probably i don't know maybe zelda but it's like way down there um mm-hmm. but it's one of wow, those i didn't know it was that like defined of a series oh, yeah. for you That's, yeah i knew you liked it but yeah wow outright just your favorite oh yeah series. yeah no I, question oh, not at all um okay. but it's one of those things where i think of the term and i don't remember i remember calling them basically throughout the 90s and certainly into like the early 2000s kind of until it became a different thing like calling them like rpgs and using the other term of like Mm -hmm. crpg or computer rpg when those started to kind of come out on like pc so stuff like in my head i think of like um you know there there's always continued like fallout yeah like that's when i think and i was so elder scrolls ultima Mm-hmm. yeah so early, i think of early, those as like progenitors. i would have i would have given that distinction of oh this is a crpg and i just would have called any squaresoft right you know squaresoft squeenix whatever i would have just called that and oh that's an rpg because there was not anything else that was different at least from my perspective right as a console player like they were all <laughs> jrpgs right there was no need I mean, to back- to give it Back the air we quotes JRPG. Well, there's actually a caveat to that. We can get, I'll talk about that later. But. I mean, I have a slightly different perspective just because I was mostly a computer player yeah, starting actually, around that era. <laughs> so. I, that's why I want to get into it later, Mike, because I feel like generally speaking, growing up, Sam, Dylan, and myself were definitely console kids, but you definitely seem to be much more of an early PC adopter, like really early PC adopter. Well, so not that early, but certainly around 92 on, I was mostly playing PC games and what console games I was playing lagged a bit, though. So I was really impressed by, you know, the Final Fantasy games when friends had them, particularly because they were such a huge step up from... Dragon Warrior 1 and Final Fantasy 1, which we got with a huge lag, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I was also, you know, when I was thinking of an RPG at the time, I was probably thinking the SSI Gold Box games, yeah. which were AD&D, either first or third person exploration, and then third person overhead turn-based combat. Yeah, I, I the, as you mentioned, I did, I remember, I, I remember playing those back in the I don't know, maybe early '90s, probably in the probably back into the late '80s. Remember, you go over to my my friend's uh, work dad's office had like a work computer. We had those on, and we just go sit there like for the weekend. And he was doing some work or something, and we were just 
playing the gold box games. But I feel like in my head there, like, oh, I, you know, I don't know exactly what I would have called it, but I think thinking back on that, I always would have called those like, oh, it's like a CRPG at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's some of those things I, I tried to do a little bit of like research on the internet to be like, hey, where did the term, when did the term like JRPG come around? And it's completely unclear because some folks say that like oh, sure. it came around in like the 80s and then other folks were like, oh, it wasn't really a thing until like Tales of Symphonia came out. And then that was like used almost as like part of like the marketing for it or something. Um, so hmm. it's like. It varies over like 15 years over where this term was used or not. And in some places, it's you can see old like news group posts and stuff where someone has like a, you know, quoted JRPG as, you know, like used to have the quote E dash mail or whatever. Um, <laughs> right. The hyphenated. So. Dang. I should have done a little bit more uh, pre podcast prep because I actually do have several very at this point very old issues of egm or electronic gaming monthly which was a gaming periodical that i read since i was like probably i mean i subscribed to it from like fourth through like 10th grade and i kept a few issues of it but definitely i remember i kept the issue that first previewed chrono trigger when it came out in japan and i'm sure i, I could have sworn it was probably referring to it as a role-playing game from japan not mm-hmm. necessarily as like the true like jrpg like we use so ubiquitously now um but to to wrap up the opening topic just to throw my two cents in which will be real quick is just um my my general definition of jrpg mostly aligns with what everybody else has said but i think the key delineator for me is that the Role, the the role like the role that you are playing is of a predefined character and their story in a JRPG or in a traditional Western RPG, it's you are meant to be that character and that is your air quotes adventure that you are having and so the decision making is more open but I feel like the general plot is also a little bit less deep because obviously it has to cover multiple potential choices that the player would make right so. I think that's my clear delineator between the difference between a, a J, what I would call a JRPG and a Western CR or CRPG or you know whatever other you know role playing games that that have come out um, mm-hmm. uh, as well. I think for me that's the clear delineator. It doesn't and it doesn't necessarily have to be turn based. Um, I mean I don't want to become like the historian nerd here, but you can go back as far as 1987 with Falcom on the PC 88, and they released East One in 1987 or 8, I want to say. And East has always been an action game, action RPG, we would call it now. But they were, you know, I, I would say that East is definitely a JRPG franchise. Yeah. Came out and in 87. 87, yeah. So on the PC 88. Um, and definitely a JRPG by, I mean, I would say by any stretch of the imagination and it's very much an action game but it's okay uh i feel like turn it, i think a lot of people use turn-based as like a general descriptor because so many of the prevalent games were turn-based you know final fantasy up until final fantasy 10 was exclusively turn-based and then you know they added modifications like act atb and all these other things but generally speaking it was turn-based random encounters all that um and Dragon Quest to this day is still, you know, the exact same 
you know, battle mechanics <laughs> and people don't want it to change. Do you guys um, actually remember when the new Dragon Quest game, I think it was going to be a DS game, and they showed a preview and it was, uh, it was like uh, real-time fighting and the Japanese fans, I guess, revolted and so they changed it back. Do you remember no. that? Did I make uh, that up? I, I want to say that was supposed to be Dragon Quest Online, which was a Wii game. And the DS game, I want to say in Japan, I could be wrong. I might be misremembering, but Should have uh, I do remember up. something like this. So you, you definitely not, uh, you are, are uh, ringing a bell with that. But yeah, I mean, Dragon Quest is a very special case in Japan, right? I mean, famously, J the Japanese government banned Dragon Quest games from being released on weekdays because too many kids would skip school and too many adults would call in sick at work <laughs> to go wait in line to get oh, them. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's a thing anymore with the way digital distribution is and all that, but I do recall that was a thing back in the, you know, it was instituted like in the '90s, I want to say. Um, but but moving on, I think we can kind of pivot into discussions we've been already having now, where, um, like our our experiences, I guess we can say, with 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 JRPGs. Um, again, I think myself, Sam, Dylan, the three of us have largely parallel experiences. Like we were, a lot of us were like Nintendo kids. Yep. Growing up, right? We had our. I I mean, I had a literal Famicom, so I was playing, you know, struggling with the Japanese versions of these games. Um, but you guys <laughs> actually probably had NES. I I did have a Super NES, so I I actually got like you know Chrono Trigger and and FF, uh, FF three and like uh, what's it? Uh, Secret of Mana and stuff in English. You know, I actually got into uh, RPGs late. Um, I was a big Nintendo Power subscriber for, dang. Since maybe near, very near the beginning, one of the best periodicals, man. Yeah, yeah, rip. Um, but I was always upset when they would devote um so many pages to RPGs. Like, here's a new Final Fantasy game. We're gonna put like a bunch of maps and just multi-page articles in here. And I was like, I do not care about this crap. Uh, just why do you guys run this stuff? I hate these games clogging up my nintendo power um but then i got a chrono trigger for like a birthday or a christmas or something and man i was hooked after that that was that was the end of it no i was so thankful. chrono trigger was like your first true jrpg like experience yeah yeah wow what a what an opener how do you how do you follow that up yeah, i know right <laughs> <laughs> a lot of disappointments yeah <laughs> Um, I think Dylan, you mentioned for you a lot of it was going early on to what a friend's house and playing FF two. Yeah, it was that, and then I don't remember if it was out at the time because it came out slightly after. I don't remember. I don't think we had it right there, but then uh, then into Secret of Mana, and I got a Super Nintendo, and then my my life was over at that point. I would just hang out in my room and go into the dinosaur forest in Final Fantasy three and grind there and. <laughs> um uh yeah and then into chrono trigger which i still have my uh actually i i kind of looked at everything i have for my original chrono trigger box uh because i have all of the original map, packaging and maps everything. Oh, man. i have the original inserts and everything it's it's I crazy mean... now like because mine and mine's in nearly japanese condition 
so it's it'd be like a sea level japanese so it's like it's crazy <laughs> like that cart with all the stuff i have there it's like a thousand dollars or something right now i'm sure it is yeah and I i'm mean, like yeah I believe... you're never i'm never selling it like i don't care i but... i believe you could actually send it i think psa actually does like cartridges and games now too because they're oh know, yeah kind of in that collectible sphere as well you won't see it again for like six months but <laughs> you can get officially graded if you really care no it, it looks nice on my yeah. shelf and i like having it yeah there. i mean that would be one of the last things you would actually like <laughs> sell right if oh, you yeah. were destitute like it would not yeah i got plasma i can very, sell very first You're right <laughs> exactly you have a fight you have an infinite resource you can sell first um was there a question in there that I totally got? No, on? it was just kind of talking about our backgrounds. But I want to really want to pivot to Mike because I think Mike's general RPG background is a lot is the most divergent from ours. So I wanted yeah. to kind of get his story because I think that's going to be the most like novel and interesting to to the rest of us. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I definitely had you know bits of early computer RPGs at friends' places like. They'd have maybe a wizardry game or one of the, uh, probably an Ultima, I'm sure I ran into at some point. I happened to fall into those gold box games right around the time I was getting my own computer and getting into D&D, so all of that kind of made my RPG focus a bit D&D. But at the same time, I had also, you know, had a Nintendo in the NES era and at least sometimes at Friends, I would play Dragon Warrior, which was the U.S. release of Dragon Quest One, and was absolutely primitive by the point it finally made it here in, what, like, four years after it was released? Something like that. Oh, wow, that. was it really that long? I forget, but it was a long time. I think it was, like, the tail end of the 80s, and by that time it was, what, a game from, like, 85 or 86 in Japan? Mm -hmm. So, I remember just dying to slimes a lot and not really thinking like it was that great a game. But um, I certainly had encountered RPGs, you know, these games enough to know the tropes. So when I discovered was at a friend's and who had a TurboGrafx-16, which was the US PC Engine release, and they had... Um, World Court Tennis, which had a quest mode, which was essentially a tennis game shoehorned into a very simple Dragon Warrior-esque RPG where you, <laughs> you wander around and then get challenged to random tennis encounters by people <laughs> while upgrading your equipment in order to save the world that the King of Tennis has quested you with saving. <laughs> You know, I knew what was going on there, <laughs> and I still have some affection for that cheesy RPG spin-off mode in a tennis game. I think they also did a racing game, maybe, that had an RPG mode, but I can't remember if I played that one or not. Um, then, yeah, I mostly missed the 16-bit generation, at least as far as what I owned myself. Um, though my friends were all pretty much Nintendo kids, so I definitely remember running into Final Fantasy 2 and, well, US 4, obviously, and people being super excited about that, because, yeah, that was one of those games that just floored everyone when it came out and they encountered it. 
and then hopped back over to PC and mostly did the 90s as a PC gamer playing things like Star Control 2 that I'm not sure if you'd qualify as an RPG, really. Um, and things like the Fallout games and maybe a Might and Magic, you know, things like that. And then having gone back to pick up some of the JRPGs in the later 90s when I had uh, finally picked up a Genesis and a Super Nintendo to go back and play what some of my friends had been playing. But at that point, a lot of the classic, classic Squaresoft games were already stupid expensive, so I finally went back and played like Final Fantasy 1, which was still semi-affordable, and um, picked up Fantasy Star 4, which was probably my first experience playing my own, you know, high-quality 16-bit JRPG, and then hopped to a PS1 and played some of the Final Fantasy remakes, plus things like Wild Arms and yeah. uh, Lunar. Oh, man. So, oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. All. Yeah. This is the waxing nostalgic. <laughs> yeah. Man, P- I mean, P- PS1 and it's, I would say, I mean, really across its entire lifespan was a RP- like a JRPG, like Treasure Trove. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'd say most of the JRPGs I've actually played were probably on PS1, but then I've hopped around and played some on other platforms. Like, I played the TurboGrafx or Turbo CD ports of the East games when those came out on Wii Store and things like that. So, yeah, it's kind of all over the place, and I mostly haven't played mainstream RPGs, either Western or JRPGs, since the late 90s, early 2000s. So I'm kind of the weird one in this episode trying to listen to y'all and catch up and figure out what's worth playing. I mean, they are a huge time investment, right? So Yeah. <laughs> well, like... relatively these days, actually, I would say, I would say no, because I feel yeah. like most... It varies, but I would say a lot of like JRPGs are, you can get through the main story in, I would call it, even for like the major and modern ones, I call it something around like 40 hours, which isn't nothing. But if you compare that to like, you know, all the Skyrims and things like that, where those games are easily like hundreds of hours. True. true, um, true. Like Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, that's like a 35 hour game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about what it was for me on my first mm. playthrough. Um, so it's not like so I it it's not nothing, you know. It's not like it's a five hour, ten hour game or something where it's this little short, you know, thing. But it's relative to a lot of other stuff, which I think it's less, and that may be a, a direct result of kind of the styling, which I think is one of the things we've agreed on, which is that like more of this kind of call it maybe character based, linear story based thing, where it's like, well, you can't just write. 80 million side stories and have it fit and have it be a cohesive thing. There has to be, you know, arcs and beginnings and middles and ends and stuff. And that says, all right, well, I'm not going to write a 150 hour story. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a few of them that are long like that, or can just take a long time to get through. Um, But, uh, and a quick, a a quick aside back to to Dragon Quest, just uh the original japanese came out in may of 86 and it was not released in the u.s until august of 89 
So that was a non-trivial delay. Yeah. Yeah, it's substantial. Um, but going back to your thing about like time on old, I feel like most JRPGs or older JRPGs say, you know, circa between say 1988 and, you know, circa early 2000s. I don't think most of them were 150 hours of plot. They were 150 hours of game time because there was a lot of grinding involved to get through certain parts. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh, do I remember playing Final Fantasy IV, uh, known as FF2 on the Super Nintendo, uh, getting to the moon and taking three steps and instantly getting obliterated by whatever encounter it was because I was so woefully underleveled and I had to sit and grind for <laughs> like an ent- like I can't remember how many weekends I had to spend <laughs> just powering up to be able to, to even not even just being able to walk across was that so. was that playing the original japanese for or was that playing us2 that was playing us it was oh shoot what was no oh you know what it was that that that's actually when i because i never actually played us2 i played the playstation 1 re-release of the oh. of of it so it's ff it was called ff4 at that point so there's so many different ones with that game too because originally the original japanese version of that is super hard and the one they released in the u.s as two uh was they made it they literally made it easy like they toned down like the difficulty on tons of stuff there um that version was that that was the first one that was the first final fantasy game that was actually re-released in japan where it was re-released as Final Fantasy 4E for easy and they they reimported the easy version back into Japan for babies um, subsequent different versions of 4 uh aside from having various other changes some of them letting you change out character composition and things like that depending on how you do stuff um some of them have been more on the original hard mode and some of them have been uh more on the easy mode and then there's also like the still slightly different the ds one which was kind of a graphical remake but the gameplay itself on that one was more based off of the original hard mode where you just get your butt kicked yeah when you get to the moon you you just you just die on the moon um uh spoiler you go to the moon (laughs) um i don't even know what that means so um so that's a little there. Um, Do you guys uh, remember when JRPGs were such a big deal um, that when Microsoft was trying to get people to buy Xboxes, they got uh, Sakaguchi, they enticed him away to start his own game company and do some games mm-hmm. for them? Yep. Mist Walker um, Studios made Lost yeah. Odyssey was the first one. Right. Right. And they did a Blue Dragon. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem to matter anymore. Uh, there's just so many games. Uh, and the J- JRPGs seem like they've lost their uh, their their power these days. I think largely is because the indie like revolution released so many really just great you know um jrpg styled games i mean mm-hmm. and that's been going for quite a while but now but now i think we're seeing you know some truly amazing things like i mean sea of stars is a a 
truly lovely game and i mean it's it's a western developed game it's, i believe it's like you said simon i believe it was developed in germany and they got you got yasunori mitsuda on board to do 10 songs for it like that's mm. mind-blowing to me like this is one of the mount rushmore's of video game composition for me yeah um he probably has made my outright favorite soundtrack ever period in in chrono cross so yeah, the fact so that good. they got him on board for not like originally i think it was the, you know they pitched it and he's like oh i would be i would love to do a song and then basically they when they were drafting the contract he loved the like all of the design assets for the game so much and he loved this world they made so much as like, i want to make as many songs as you can let me and they said well this the we have room for 10 he's like perfect i'll do 10 <laughs> and he just signed and right there one of the be- best of all time so you know um i think the going back to the original topic i think that um like the the mystery and the mystique and the exclusivity of jrpgs being tied to certain individuals is certainly not a thing anymore i think a lot of people have some great ideas and great stories to tell and the jrpg kind of traditional jrpg format is a great way to do it because it's relatively low development cost compared to something like you know um like a like a god of war or something where you just have to make all these you know have have incredible you know 3d designers and these you know insane art assets and and you know a, a jrpg you just you need of course you need talented people but you can make it i mean i mean you don't even have to necessarily have talented people um you can be a really <laughs> dedicated singular individual like toby fox and still make really just a, a such a great game um i don't know if any of you have played undertale no um it's on my list but i f- i feel like any of our our younger listeners is probably it's like you know this is old hat for them but undertale is comfortably my favorite jrpg for geez i mean i can't think of anything else besides up until sea of stars came out that really holds a candle to it Okay, yeah, I was gonna hmm. say, how does it compare to Sea of Stars? It's two different games, completely different yeah. games. Sea of Stars to me is so great because to me it feels like the the follow up to Chrono Trigger I always wanted mm. is kind of the best way to describe Sea of Stars. Um, don't get me wrong, I love Chrono Cross. I know that's a divisive topic, but I personally <laughs> love Chrono Cross. But it is, I wouldn't call it a true sequel to Chrono Trigger. It was, I just consider it like a different game, but right. I, I do enjoy it. But I feel like Sea of Stars really is a, is a spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger, which I mean, I think a lot of people from our era would say is probably at least in the top three greatest JRPGs of all time. I'm sure plenty of people say mm-hmm. it's their favorite. I mean, it's it was the dream project for a reason. Yep. So. Uh, but with Undertale, it's more about you can get a hundred percent completion in Undertale. It has no, not too much spoiler, but it has multiple endings. Right. And it kind of has this meta thing going in it. But basically, you can do, do all the content in under twelve hours. Oh, really? It's not, it's not at all a very long game. Um, it doesn't need to be though. Um, what Toby Fox figured out was he could really get tell the story and do the character development and have the gameplay and have it all feel really satisfying and your first playthrough i would be shocked if it took longer than three four hours oh really through yeah it's not a long game whatsoever um Hmm. and the cool thing about it is the best in my opinion one of the best ways to do it is go in blind try it out the the game definitely guides you one of two ways depending on what kind of you know 
mm-hmm. gamer you are. And then you're going to play it that one of two ways in general. Some people will actually play it a third way that is not as obvious. And so basically, there's three <laughs> ways to play the game. Uh-huh. And that's what gets you the whole story. But what's cool is when you get there your first time, it kind of makes you wonder, is this it? And then it feels okay. And this is the part that made it so great because back when we were kids, I don't know if this was for everybody, but you know, when you got stuck, you know, you'd go to your Nintendo Powers or your, you know, whatever. Because back when we were kids, there was no internet. There's no game facts to look up. Mm-hmm. We had to either find strategy guides or find somebody who knew, like yeah. the with the shot, the the mystic shaman who actually knew <laughs> yeah. how to do everything, or somebody so, who had an uncle who worked at Nintendo, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or call that that game helpline. Oh right? my gosh, like, yeah, one nine hundred or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for for you know one ninety nine a minute. Um, so it, I feel like Undertale is the first modern game where I felt like it's okay afterwards to kind of start looking like okay, so what do I need to do? Because I would say. Like two two ways to play the game are relatively obvious, but the third way is not. And when you do it, you're like, oh. And then that's yeah. when you get some of the coolest experiences in the game. Um, is what I'll say. Okay, I think I had um, that spoiled for me, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of been memed to death on the internet, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, but <laughs> who knows? Maybe I, I I don't I don't know. I will play it though. But um. I don't want to, but there's actually, I found recently found this great uh, guy on YouTube. He's a former Blizzard game dev. Um, he goes by, I want to say he goes by pirated software. He's He's got a lot of really great shorts, okay. but he has, he has no, I mean, a lot of his great content is like just the, the tea on what was going on at Blizzard, you know, in the, in the 2000s. And it was, I can just say it was not great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, funny enough. His dad was, for 20-something years, the senior cinematic director at Blizzard, which means from the year mm, 2003-ish on, uh, any CGI cinematic you saw of a Blizzard game, his dad directed. So all of those super iconic World of Warcraft, Diablo, etc., etc., all of that was right. So his dad was a big deal at at blizzard and the funniest story is for anybody who's watched that south park episode make love not warcraft uh-huh. um, it's pretty it's, infamous. it's classic I mean, it's really good it is probably one of the most memed things on the internet to this day and that guy who was the uh, unkillable you know uh mega mega wow loser the the you know with the wrist brace and the balding head <laughs> the that caricature was actually based on this guy's this blizzard does guy's dad who was the senior director at the time <laughs> so stone trey stone and matt parker actually spent quite a long time at blizzard making sure that they when they were using the wow game in certain scenes that they were getting blizzard's blessing they didn't want to piss them off basically right um, and so they got to know this guy's dad real well. And they, as a joke, because these they're freaking pranksters, they were like, "We're going to totally put him in." And they actually were ready to cut that his character out just in case it pissed him off. But when they showed it to him, he loved it. So they're like, <laughs> "Awesome!" So the captain, so this guy's an absolute legend. Wow. But anyway, going back to it, um, the, his son, who's this content creator, um, uh, pirate uh, pirate software, I think his name is, he talks about he loves to talk about um positively infor- infor- like uh reinforcing people like don't be afraid to try to make game like make games you need to make bad games before you make good games if you mm-hmm. want to try to make games just try it and the number one excuse i hear people say oh i don't know i'm not a good programmer he's like i can give you the best example of 
terrible programming can still make a great game. Apparently, I don't know the details of how of programming, but he was talking about Undertale. Mm-hmm. He goes, Toby Fox is not a good programmer. <laughs> he was saying like the some I can't I can't remember exactly where for. He was basically all of the dialogue is literally referenced in one callback sheet that's like thousands of pages long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he says it was it is the most atrociously coded game he's ever seen, but it doesn't matter because it's all behind the scenes. It works enough yeah. for the game for the player to play the game. But well, it's a Celeste is the hor- same way. A horrendously coded game, but it doesn't matter as long as it's getting the end user gets what they want. Yeah. So, but in, in any case, um I gosh, I don't, I'm I'm now I'm losing track of what my whole point on this was, but <laughs> um, Undertale, great game, JRPG, definitely JRPG inspired, yeah. heavily uh, Earthbound or Mother Three uh, inspired, is the best comparison. So recommend anybody play it. It's on every single platform, everywhere, all time. Um, yeah, I believe cool. it's like a ten ten fifteen dollar game. It's spend a weekend on it, and then uh, if you really want to deep dive on it, look up a few few quick guides, and then have fun. Is is definitely what I can say. Um, but moving on, um, I think uh, uh, the next kind of direction I want to head with the episode is specifically moving towards kind of more modern JRPG. We talked about a lot of classic ones, but now moving into modern, I think uh, out of this group, three of us are playing or have played Final Fantasy 16. Yep. Which yes. is the latest uh, iteration. I believe it came out in two, like mid-2023, somewhere, like, somewhere yep. around there. And uh, Sam, I think out of all of us, you are the one that have has completed it, right? Start to finish? Yep. Yeah, I'm about to start on the DLC soon. Oh, I don't know. There was DLC out already. Okay. Oh, yeah. just, um, so yeah. so I guess we can go just start discussing. Um, is, is FF16 a JRPG? De facto, I would say, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean... I, I go back and forth because I'm like... Is it a JRPG? Like, if if it's a JRPG, then I almost want to be like, well, so is uh, Star Wars Jedi Outcast. Because they're both heavily story-based with a person mm-hmm. set in a world. Like, yes, Final Fantasy sixteen has a few of the Final Fantasy tropes. And I was just kind of thinking, I'm like, it's such a... I don't know. It's I'm so conv- I'm still so conflicted on the game. I've played it like... Yeah, like nearly 50 hours and I'm still not sure if it's a Final Fantasy game I'm not sure if it's good or if it's just total trash I'm but I guess I'm having fun I guess I'm having fun you know what the worst case with it is like I'm (laughs) having fun and and I guess in the end you know you know that's all that matters with your entertainment time um uh, but I am not I'm I honestly, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a Final Fantasy game. I don't even know if it's a JRPG. I'd say it gets, because it's, it's a, it's of good stock. It is a, it's grandfathered in as a JRPG in that it being Final Fantasy, it ticks enough of the boxes checklist style to be a JRPG for me. And that's, that's enough. I would say that. I would generally agree. I think grandf- it gets grandfathered in. I would definitely say that it's very clear that uh, that Yoshi P's design philosophy was... I mean, he's so much... He's admitted it, right? He basically said, 
what told the whole de like development staff before we even start discussion i want i need you to all to watch game of thrones or something yeah. to that effect oh yeah right? yeah the yeah. made yeah the made staff they literally like sent had everyone like, got everyone like copies of like all of like the games of thrones tv series like and they all watched it and you can see a lot of the influence there with like the you know the family backstabbing themes and things so it's without getting too spoilery i don't want to yeah. it is newer games so i don't want to get too spoiler it's not i feel like it's relatively there's there's a big there's the a big fancy hour. there's a big fancy dog a big fancy dog yeah yes um uh, I would generally agree. I think it's is a, but I definitely see your point, Dylan. Because the big thing for me, and this, I don't want to make this like a weird, um, like, 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 weeb elitist thing, but the game is very obviously intended to be played with the English voice acting, not mm -hmm. the uh, Japanese. But it has both voice acting tracks, but the mouth. Syncing is was only done to the English track. The English voice acting in it is phenomenal, in my opinion. Yeah, it's real good. I'm like, god damn, did they really find great people to play? Even the side characters. Yeah, I, I started like, in Japanese and switched over English because the non-lip sync matching was really weirding me out. And then also the subtitles for it are more like, it wasn't an actual like subtitle translation. It was more of the... English, English transcription, yeah. right? And uh, and Yoshi P said the same thing. Like the intent is for it to be played in English because again, he wanted to have that Game of Thrones feel, which is why a lot of people are using kind of heavy Scottish ish, you know, like uh, you know UK kind of inspired yeah. mm -hmm. um, accents. And they did a great job. They found the great. I mean, it's quite quite impressive for a game to want me to use the English voice track over the japanese when the game was developed in japan obviously yeah. now there's always like from soft games are i think by default all have been in english since demon souls right yeah that they, they never even had japanese language if i recall yeah so obviously there's exceptions to the rule i don't but and I, I i we can get into this maybe a bit later but i don't even think from soft games are really jrpgs no no, so, no definitely not like yeah. quite I think, not i think we discussed that in the uh didn't we discuss them a little bit? Otaku, in the otaku games. games, yeah. I think we asked if there was an otaku game, but I don't know necessarily if we talked mm. about if we asked if it was a JRPG. Yeah. Uh, my opinion, no. I mm. think they are very clearly um, using a lot of Western game design philosophies. Of course, there's definitely still Japanese influence. Like I think uh, I can't remember who, but some some game reviewer said that the entire Dark Souls universe does not exist without Berserk. And I can oh, yeah. generally anyway. agree. That super grim, dark fantasy setting was is very heavily inspired by, by you know, the world that Mira built in Berserk. Yeah. I think that's painfully clear. And that's okay. That's a great setting to base it on. Not too many things go kind of really fantasy grim dark. At, you know, that's not like a super popular setting i mean it kind of is now because souls likes are kind of the new yeah, yeah. souls likes are kind of the new jrpgs right like hmm. everybody's making one so yep <laughs> yeah that's a um, fair point and everyone wants to have that souls like exclusive console or whatever exclusive thing because it can move move units and and they have proven similar i think similar to the jrpg that they have a long shelf life it's not a game where it's like oh you, it's the hot thing for three months for like 
for like three weeks. It's like, no, no, no. These games continue to move units. Right. Um, I mean, I think Elden Ring has moved, what, like 30 million units globally now or something? Like some outrageous number oh, for okay. a game made by FromSoft. Um, but uh, go, again, pivoting back to FF16. <laughs> uh, um, I'm curious about 16. Um, and I was, as I was playing it, one of the things that struck me is how linear it felt. Mm -hmm. um, and do you guys feel like the older JRPGs, like let's just say FF7, do you feel like that was as linear as as FF16? I feel like it, it felt like I had more freedom, but it's been a very long time since I played what it. I, I, you know, what I'll say, Sam, is I, I totally get what you're saying and I feel the same way, but what I think it really is, is if you look at the main plot of FF7, it mm -hmm. definitely follows a trend. What FF7 does well is there are incredibly meaningful like like side paths to take that actually, in my opinion, enhance the game experience. That's true, yeah. In my opinion, from what I've played FF6, uh, I just looked at my game counter on my app. It's under 10 hours, so you know I'm not super far in, but I can say that when I have had access to side missions, they have felt incredibly incredibly meaningless in the grand scope of the game's story. Yeah, in 16, my, there's, my experience. the thing is like, and actually, I, I think Square Enix, they put out a kind of a blog post like trying to kind of sell up the um, the DLC, but it's also like, hey, here's some like really cool side quests, because it is true that there are some that are actually like really cool, but a lot of the other ones, I agree, I kind of felt like, oh, this is just this is stupid and i just hand a thing and do the off-screen hand handing of an item mm -hmm. to someone right it um, feels like a fetch quest for an mmo like yeah. many yep. of them do yeah so i kind of i skipped a bunch of them and then I, I kind of went back and did some of them but after i'd kind of like grouped up and got like a whole bunch where i could go to an area and just make all right i'm just gonna go clear out like five of these quests here real quick and like yep um it's so weird that way i think one of the things that makes it i think feel maybe it makes it feel more linear or less open is the fact that you get around everywhere by fast travel like there's no world map yeah there's no like world there's i mean there is there there's kind of but yeah there's no there's no world map there's no you know call it airship and there's no real like airshipping around um so i think that and then there's also a bunch of places where you get um literally on your map you get locked out of going anywhere yes. except for the next story plot point mm -hmm. and i think that really makes the feel because like you could say yeah if you just for comparison sake for anyone arbitrarily sure it's pick ff7 be like yeah the storyline for that is pretty linear and there are places where you get like locked out of some stuff but i think somewhat of it is that like yeah there's really cool side quests in that game and side th monsters to fight and stuff like that there are two um, characters that you can totally skip yeah right yeah there's like two completely skippable characters um but at the same time it's also like oh you fly around the world you go on boats you walk you you walk around everywhere you're not fast traveling everywhere and i think mm -hmm. it's it's not just a problem in in this game but i think it highlights that i think one of the other games that i haven't played that i've heard 
in some ways has kind of a similar problem is um space skyrim what whatever what's the space yeah i was just saying that or thinking that i was hearing essentially the complaints you Mm -hmm. just made about that game so yeah because like in skyrim like yes you can you can fast travel around but you also have the option to literally like oh i'm gonna go walk across like the whole map and go through and fight these crazy bears whereas in space skyrim like your only option is fast travel which which i think i think depending on the world can be problematic it's almost like well why even have that at all why not just say oh hey now we're in the next level okay go right it's like it it feels more like you have more freedom if you're forced to travel um than if you just fast travel everywhere so like that's maybe that's what makes the airships so nice over fast travel is that that's like you earned your fast travel with the airship um, and and you're still exploring the map to get somewhere, but you're doing it in a faster way. Yeah. Hmm. I hadn't really thought of that until, until having kind of this thought here of just kind of like that real impact on the thing of how the world map goes around. And I'm trying to think of other, Final Fantasies that have as much of a just on that series arbitrarily have as much of a direct like fast travel or as much of a linear thing. Well, frankly, like one that feels very that's generally been poorly regarded is the 13 series. And one of the main complaints there is like the maps are literally just like walk straight down the corridor. Mm -hmm. And it's like super gated with like where you are. Um, so that one's, that one's almost like, well, you don't even have the fast travel. You just, you just go to the next level almost. Um, you know, there's the whole, uh, this topic I could go on forever. Like there is fast, there's a lot of fast travel in, um, in Final Fantasy 14, but that one's also completely different because it's such a large (laughs) scale, but you can also go for, you can also like walk and fly your mounts from everywhere to everywhere. Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw out this question. Is FF14 a JRPG? Nah, I, I thought about that. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is, in my opinion, a very well-executed, westernized MMO. Yeah. But then again, you can. I think it almost is the MMO kind of version of what happened with you know, uh, Ultima and, like, Wizardry, where that's how we got Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest was, like, Japanese game devil. So I was like, hey, let's 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 use this, but try to do it our way. I feel like that's what happened with FF14. It's yeah. like, wow, this WoW game is amazing, but, you know, some of the design aesthetics are, in my opinion, ugly as butts. Yeah, so yeah. how about we use our magic animu power and make it uh, more appealing to our main audience and boom you have the currently wi- most wildly successful mmorpg on market um yeah. it has not hit the peaks that wow did obviously but it is i believe still has the largest concurrent active player base right now yeah is my understanding and rightly so it's a beautiful game i've seen some of the stuff and i'm like yeah that's great i played wow for six years and i'm like i do not need another one of these games that's the only reason why i've been <laughs> avoiding it um, but it's a beautiful game. Um, they've, Yoshi P's done a phenomenal job. I think I, I can completely understand why he got the nod to be able to take the helm of FF16 because he kind of earned his keep with FF14. By keeping Square Enix as a company for the last decade. 
yeah, <laughs> yeah. like very profitable on top of that and making great content as far as i understand so it's i i could go off forever on final fantasy 14 <laughs> i have started playing it back in june or something like that and i was like all right i finally got a pc and i was like all right i'm gonna play this game okay finally and i'm just like i love it i i it i think it it, it i think i think i kind of go with what you're saying they're like it's a Japanese, it's a JRPG version of an MMO because it actually has a really awesome single player story and quest and everything. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. feel in, and you're this, you're this hero in the years, warrior of light hero in this story, which is very much JRPG, but it also has a lot of the uh, MMO and the teaming up and other things like that there, which is uh is cool and it has all sorts of just ludicrous in-game memes and and things and it is uh the script work is genuinely hilarious like some of the stuff i have literally just like laughed out loud because it's freaking hilarious um as one side thing uh at one point like some characters uh you can encounter gilgamesh and people call one of the guys calls him greg and it's just hilarious because <laughs> I can't remember okay. his name. It's just like, oh, it's Greg. It's Greg. Um, so uh, that's two minutes on uh, a uh, a fabulous game there. I still am not sure if Final Fantasy 16 is a is really a good game or not. I am honestly, I'm so conflicted. And it's so wild, too, because it has crazy kaiju battles in it. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to talk to you guys after you beat the game, because um, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about it after beating it. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll give my relatively limited view on it, since again, I'm the furthest behind. But just, I think I've played enough to understand the kind of the what you guys have described seems like what I anticipated, which is it largely remains relatively linear in progression, which I honestly am okay with. Mm-hmm. That part doesn't bug me because honestly, for me, with traditional JRPGs, the wandering around lost in the world map and getting into random battles was one of the biggest frustrations for me. So just cutting yeah. that part all together doesn't really bug me too much. Totally. Um, I, I'm right now invested in the main character for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of... the Plot's progression seems to be going at a good enough clip that I'm not getting bored of any particular plot element. Um, mm-hmm. Easy on the eye. The game is absolutely stunning looking. It's a looker for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I would enjoy... I feel like I'm only going through battles to get to the next cool story element. I actually don't know if I really like the battles, only because they are really, really easy for me. And this is not Mm -hmm. me flexing. I just feel like they made a pretty cool battle system, but I feel like they really did not balance the game towards, like challenge like even the you know easy the story of focus versus like action focus like i feel like even this action focus like setting is still pretty lenient i thought um, they were the for me the the combat was the thing that i i mean i really enjoyed the story and the looks and everything but the combat was the thing that kept me in it if i i mean yes it's it's not difficult um but it was uh challenging enough that it didn't feel like easy mode like especially i did all the um notorious marks all the uh Hmm. side uh battles 
um, optional bosses, whatever you want to call and them. And again, I am pretty early in, so obviously I haven't gotten to dip my toes into the air quotes hard stuff yet. So I may, you know, totally change my opinion later. But right now, I'm enjoying it. Like mm -hmm. at the end, I will. I am willing to play through poor game mechanics to get a good story. My flag bearer for that now and forever will be Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> I despised the draw stock system. Absolutely despised it. But FF8 for me, plot-wise and character development-wise, was one of my favorites. Wow, um, okay. I know that's kind of a hot take. Yeah, uh, not I know mine. FF8's not, <laughs> not widely viewed. I don't know. There are certain parts of I don't know. Maybe that was because I played it during my Edgelord phase. But <laughs> <laughs> Some um, of, uh, Yeah, I should replay it, but yeah. <laughs> but um, we, are, we are running uh, a hair over, so... Um, I think I will uh, go into our closing statements with uh, each of us stating it doesn't even have to be your favorite JRPG, but I think we should each be allotted a handful of seconds to talk about any JRPG that we feel like is worth a shout out. It could be something obscure. It could be something mainstream. But uh, why don't we start with you, Sam? Um, I will say... Uh, first, I, I did want to follow up on something I mentioned earlier about that Dragon Quest thing. I did look it up um, while we were recording, and um, Dragon Quest Nine, is, did, and it was a DS game, and it did have a promo with action-based battles. And it turned out they, it, yes, the fans hated it, but that wasn't primarily why they changed it back. That just worked better for what they were trying to do. Um, as for JRPGs, um, I'll just go with. Uh, Final Fantasy 15 because that's at the front of my mind right now and I think that's one that's I feel like it's underappreciated um, I agree it, it's, it's, it's extremely good I feel like and I don't want to uh, knock 16 but I do think it's it's better in almost every way except for combat but even the combat it does like the your your party members are more integral, like you have more control mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, the story was better. You had It felt like you had a little more freedom driving around in the car, as weird as that was. And But again, um, that... Sorry, I'm totally cutting you off there, but again, that's the airship thing, because you really get mm -hmm. a feel for stuff, because you sit there driving around, and you're like, oh, gosh, I got to go between those places. They're so far. You're like, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's fine. I'll take a nice drive. Right, and then you get the little they they you know they have conversations. Eventually, they kind of start repeating, but like, um, it's it's fun. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like everybody, if who has played sixteen at all, and should definitely play fifteen. It's it's too good not to. Um, and it's a shame they lost the director on that game. I'll eventually try to get back to it. For me, the combat felt weird like it it was something it's not bad just i don't think like my brain is the kind that needs to is needed to you to use that combat system because i could never it was a struggle for me like hmm. basic encounters felt like i was almost dying all the time i'm like i'm clearly not getting something here and so i put it down and then this was right before i started moving a ton so uh. i just never got back to it but i i, I will i too much of it seems like it was too well made for me to not play it um but i'll probably just go ahead and polish off 16 first since yeah. i think that's just easier. i'm interested yeah. in your thoughts when you've beat it totally will do uh what about you mike oh weird one but in the jrpgs aren't necessarily from japan anymore category the next jrpgs on my to play list are a couple of games 
in a series called the Briley Witch Chronicles, which is JRPG-ish games for the Commodore 64 by an <laughs> English developer based on a book series that she had previously wrote. So it's the most Mike thing is... I think I've ever heard. Yeah, up there on Mike things. Yes, <laughs> I couldn't have asked for a more Mike answer. Thank you. That's amazing. Um, I will never stop learning about fascinating Commodore 64 stuff from me. Is that a new Commodore 64 thing that someone's making and like porting and putting on the Commodore 64, or was it an original thing? It's an original for Commodore 64 game. Um, she is a kick-ass developer who has been developing for the C64 since the 80s, well, and other more mainstream stuff. Um, I think she was on the Elite Dangerous team and such, so, you know, she is a currently working game dev and doing C64 stuff on the side and has written some of the best-regarded C64 games of recent years, mostly in shooters side of things, but then decided to do JRPGs as a challenge, and as the second one in the series just came out this year, the previous one was last year or the year before, I think. It's wild. Fascinating. Oh yeah, Commodore 64 games are a strangely growing scene recently. Like, more good C64 games have come out in the past few years than, obviously, in the couple decades previous to that. Oh man. Hmm. That's cool, that can happen, that's cool. and that can be a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep hardware alive, man. We need yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Dylan? Uh... I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Final Fantasy V, uh, the pixel remaster okay. version. They've uh, they've fixed the initial terrible fonts on it. Um, the new orchestration is really nice. Final Fantasy V never got an original U.S. release. It has been released several times. Play it whichever way. Um, I'm still in the midst of playing it, but went back through. Put in another 65 hours into it. Um, it is. Um, it's one of those games I'm super salty that did not come out, was never released in the U.S. originally, because um, it's possible that it would have been my, it's it's possible that it's my favorite Super NES Final Fantasy game. Um, I've always loved the soundtrack to that one. Yeah, sound, the story is, it's really solid and cool. The gameplay is is great. It's got probably the best iteration of the job system. Uh, it's just, it is just one of those just A plus everything is just solid games that I could just recommend and be like, oh yeah, play it. You'll have a great time. So that's, that's mine. Okay. Mm. I was hoping my decision would be easier if I went last, but it's <laughs> kind of, kind of challenging. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go with, and I'm not going to say this is my favorite, but just as far as kind of interesting one that in my opinion is overlooked a lot is Valkyrie Profile from the PS1. Um, I think among hardcore JRPG players, that's like a no-brainer. I was like, yeah, of course Valkyrie Profile is great, but I feel like uh, it is a victim of kind of poorly executed follow-ups and sequels many years later, and so it keeps kind of getting buried under under the, the rubble, but it has such an interesting, like, way to tell the story the combat is amongst the best i've ever seen in any game to this day amazing art assets phenomenal music and 
it also has a rare trait in JRPGs, which is replay value, because it has quite a few different endings. Mm. Um, so it's kind of, it's one of those hyper rare PS One games. I think like the U.S. domestic version of it goes for several hundred dollars oh, yeah. <laughs> on eBay at this point, if not more. Um, I believe there are other ways to play it legally outside of like the PSP re-release that came out a number of years ago. I think it might actually be available for download on PlayStation um, Store now. Um, I can try to do a quick check on that. A Square Enix oh. uh, game on Google Play for nine dollars. So I assume that's on Apple Store as well. So you can play it on your mobile device, and you know it is worth every penny. I don't know how the control scheme is. It is kind of a hybrid action side scroller with some um, combo based combat, for lack of a better description. This is the one that Honestly, Indivisible was based on. One, yes, that's actually absolutely correct. Indivisible okay. was completely influenced by it. So if you played Indivisible. Uh, which also has a very unfortunate um, <laughs> development history. <laughs> um, you would absolutely should play Valkyrie Profile. hundred percent recommend the first game. Uh, the follow-up games, not 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 so much. Um, especially the recent one. That one was a complete train wreck. But yeah, uh, I think I've had my soapbox long enough <laughs> on this. Uh, well, Valkyrie Profile, great game. I want to squeeze in I, here and just say Wild Arms and leave it at that. I mean, yeah, I knew. I figured you were going to have to throw Wild Arms in there. So, you know, I think uh, you can go ahead and close the episode after you edit it with the Wild Arms whistling or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get your mark off there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's it. That's it for, for this episode. Um, the next episode will be our now, I guess, annual tradition of the Kenzokis, where we talk about stuff we thought was cool from the last year. So uh, you guys can look forward to that episode. Uh, coming out soon-ish, TM. Uh, but yeah, with that, uh, this is AMO Kenzoku, signing off. Sadaba. Sadaba.